Welcome. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. We continue in our sermon series, In Those Days. We're taking a close look at the birth narrative of Jesus. Actually, next Sunday, Pastor Bruce is going to talk about the wise men out of Matthew chapter 2. But my contention is that there are wise men in Luke 2 as well. They didn't come from Persia. They came in from the fields around Bethlehem because the shepherds demonstrated great wisdom in their search and response to this king. You know, uh, Mary and I went searching for a monarch once for royalty. Uh, A couple years ago, we went and visited friends of ours who live in Windsor, England, just outside of London. And this was in the summertime. It was during the Royal Ascot horse races. And our friends lived uh, not far from Windsor Castle. And so we went and parked ourselves in the Queen's driveway, which you'll see here, (laughs) which is called the Long Walk. And uh, we we knew that after the Ascot, uh, she and the entourage would be coming in that direction. So we had our cameras ready. We were going to capture the queen. Well, we waited and waited, and eventually the races were over, and sure enough, things like this started coming along. Quite interesting carriages with people all dressed up, and we took pictures of that. And, and Bentleys came along, and Rolls Royces came along, and more carriages, and I took a picture of every single one. <laughs> but there was no queen. And we waited and we waited, and after about an hour of nothing coming, we finally we gave up. And so we started back towards our car, which was on the other side of the park. And uh, all of a sudden, a car starts coming towards us. And our host says, that's the queen's car. And so we're fumbling, trying to get our iPhones out, you know, and trying to get ready. And she came, and I got this picture. (laughs) Don't worry. It's not my only picture. Here's my other one. So, total failure in in trying to search for and find the queen. I came within four feet of her and couldn't get a picture. (laughs) The shepherds, on the other hand, they were much wiser. They fared much better in their search uh, for the king and in their response to him. So, let's read about it in Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 15. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I believe these shepherds show some good wisdom that we need to emulate. And I see three things that we uh, should take note of. First of all, they sought and found Jesus. They sought him. And we too need to seek him You know, we we take for granted there that um, they did this, but they had to make a decision. They had to make a decision. 
after they had received this information, what were they going to do with this revelation? What are we going to do with this revelation? And the text is very clear uh, that they very quickly made their way to Bethlehem. That without any delay, they hastened on their way. Before their eyes had actually readjusted to the dark, they were on their way. Look at it again. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing. The, the word thing there is really, uh, in the Greek, the word word or prophecy. This, this word that has now become a reality, that has been fulfilled. We, we want to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So we don't, we don't think about that, that they made a good decision right away to obey and to head off towards Bethlehem. We also don't think about what it was like searching for the baby. Not exactly sure how that went, but you can kind of imagine. What are you shepherds doing waking us up in the middle of the night? Get out of here. Go back to your fields. Uh, what are you going on about, jabbering about, uh, a Messiah born here. Nothing ever happens in Bethlehem. Go back to your fields. What are you talking about? Uh, hey, but hey, wait a minute. Where are my sheep that you're supposed to be watching? Get back to those fields. You know, we just don't know what kind of abuse uh, and ridicule they might have taken in their search for. The baby, did they ever start to question or to doubt, to wonder? I don't know, but they pushed on through it. They persevered until they found the baby. And they weren't put off at all by the fact that the Messiah was in such humble circumstances. Instead, they were, they were affirmed and confirmed and encouraged and strengthened in their faith because they found things exactly as the angels had told them. Seeking Jesus and persevering at it, it paid off. Sadly, uh, today, fewer and fewer people are willing to seek after Jesus. A Pew Research recently published findings that say that less than 50% of Americans under the age of 50 believe in God as defined by the Bible. Now, why is that? Has the evidence changed? Well, it's probably complex. There are many reasons. But one of the reasons is certainly that it's, it's harder and harder for Americans to, to, who, who kind of believe in instant gratification. It's harder to pull them away from their screens so that they will actually take the time and the effort to search to find Jesus. Uh, if Jesus isn't a vending machine, then we don't really want him. I've shared this quote before with you, but I love it. It's from G.K. Chesterton, and he famously wrote, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting, that is, lacking. Rather, it has been found difficult and left untried. In other words, because it takes effort and time and perseverance to seek after Jesus, most people don't even try. Now, having said that, it isn't because Jesus plays hide-and-seek. He doesn't. In fact, Paul said he is near. He is near to all of us. But those who seek him must genuinely 
desire to find him. In fact, um, we read this over and over again in the Old Testament, things like this. Jeremiah 29, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And Jesus repeats that when he says, those who knock, the door will be open to them. Those who seek, they will find. What's interesting about these Old Testament references is they're always in the context of God predicting, prophesying uh, that the people are going to go into exile. In other words, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart, but you're not going to do that until you come face to face with the consequences of your sinful choices. And when you finally enter into that, then you're ready to seek me and you'll find me. In other words, you won't seek me wholeheartedly until you're at the end of your rope. And that's kind of true of us, isn't it? That we often don't seek wholeheartedly after Jesus until we're at the end of our rope. Now, sometimes our ropes are short, sometimes they're long. I remember when I was in high school, uh, I played baseball for a couple years, and our team was awful. We never won a single game. In fact, most of the games ended early because we were way more than 10 runs behind. And uh, I played third base, you know, and I'm there, and uh, I'm praying. Because some of these innings seem to last forever. I thought it was, I now know what eternity means. It's this inning. And, And I would pray. I'd say, God, if you will get us out of this inning without the batter hitting the ball to me. So I have to throw it to first base. If we can just get out of this inning, then this week I will read my Bible and I will pray and I will seek, I will seek after you, you know. So my, my, I got to the end of my rope pretty quickly. Nowadays as an adult, it's a little harder, you know. I got all my defense mechanisms and everything. But uh, maybe we're, a lot of us are like our houses, and that is when you go in and you look around, initially everything looks like it's in order, it's in place, it's, it's all clean and nice, but don't look in the closets. Okay, and there's that room. There's that room that the door is closed, okay, because it is a chaotic, terrible mess. And sometimes our lives are like that. Outwardly, kind of, you know, loosely, everything looks like it's in order and it's good, but don't look, don't probe very deep. Because there's the closets and there's those moments when I realize my life is a mess. It's a mess. And you know, it's good when I have to confront that and look in that room and say, God, help me. I need your help. It's at those moments when I seek him with my whole heart. Here's here's a uh, suggestion for a New Year's resolution. God, help me to reach the end of my rope. The end of the rope is a very uncomfortable place, but the good side of it is it can lead us to seek after Jesus with our whole heart. How do we seek Jesus today? I mean, we don't go to Bethlehem. There's no baby wrapped in cloths in a manger. Jesus is, has ascended. I mean, he's resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father. How do we seek him today? Well, we have all the revelation from God and about God that we need in his word. This is where we start to seek Jesus is in his word. And so I was only um, half serious about the suggestion uh, to have your New Year's resolution be, hey, God, bring me to the end of my rope. 
Here's what I'm more serious about is this resolution is, God, help me. Help me this year. I, I want to regularly, intentionally seek Jesus in the word. I've got to be in the word, God. Help me to do that. And we do that best in community. We do that together. Uh, and so get someone and, and uh, help each other with this, to get in the word, to seek Jesus in the word. How do we know then? How do we know when we found him? We seek Jesus. How do we know when we found him? Well, we, we know that we've found him when we believe what the Bible says about Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. We know we found him when we come and draw near to God with confidence and assurance of faith because we believe that Jesus is the incarnate God, that he is God become man. He's taken on flesh and blood so that he could bleed and die in our place for us on the cross and make a path for us to be reconciled, reunited in relationship with the Father. So that through faith in Jesus, through believing, we have forgiveness of sins. When we believe those things that the Bible teaches about Jesus and what he's done for us, we have found him. But you know what? The forgiveness of sins is not the end of faith and of seeking. It's just the beginning. I was talking with someone just the other night, and he said it all kind of boils down to this. It's what you believe about Jesus that's first and most important. Everything after that is lordship. It's continuing to follow him and to submit our lives to him in obedience. We never stop seeking him that way. That's how we know if we have found him. But we need to be wise like the shepherds who were the first wise men and seek and find Jesus. Are you at the end of your rope? Christmas sometimes puts us very close to the end of our rope. Um, yesterday was what, panic Saturday? Yeah. If you're at the end of the rope, it's a good place then to seek after Jesus with your whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. And there are, there are people here, a, a friend or Bruce or I, or others who'd be more than happy to help steer you in that direction. How do, I, how do I seek him and how do I find him and what does that mean? That's what it's all about. We want to talk about that. Seek him. That's not all, though. Uh, the shepherds were successful in seeking and finding him, but then they did something else. Not only did they seek him and find him, once they had found him, they shared him. They shared him. They spread the truth about Jesus. Look at verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. The shepherds just couldn't keep it to themselves. It would have been kind of strange, wouldn't it have been, if they had uh, decided to have a conspiracy of silence after finding Jesus. Okay, guys, come on, huddle up here. Come on. Okay, I, I tell you what. Let's keep this quiet, all right? Just between us. Right? We can, we can talk about it together when we're in the field, all by ourselves. Okay, we can talk about it then, but let's not tell anybody else. Okay, zip the lip, all right? You got it? Because really, think about it. Who's going to believe us? All right? So let's just, let's just keep it among us, okay? Let's stay quiet about it. Crazy, right? A conspiracy of silence with such good news? The Messiah has come? 
That would be crazy. That would be, it would be downright wrong. It'd be selfish. I step on my own toes when I'm preaching sometimes. Of course not! This is not news that you, can, that you can allow to be a conspiracy of silence that needs to be shared, and that's what they did. They, they not only shared the message, what had been revealed to them, what had been made known to them by the, by the angels, but I'm sure they shared it within the context of their lives as a part of their, their story. So you can imagine what they said. Um, hey, man, listen, I, boy, let me tell you something. You, wow, last night, uh, we were out in the fields, like usual, uh, tending the sheep, and then bam! Out of nowhere, an angel shows up. I mean, it was so bright, I just fell down, and I was terrified. Man, I thought we were done for right there. That, that angel said, don't be afraid, but seriously, it didn't help very much. And uh, Well, anyway, um, then you, you will not believe what the angel said. The angel said that a Savior has been born who is the Messiah, the Lord. Did you hear me? The Messiah. That's the one we've been hoping for and praying for and longing for and waiting for. And, and the angel said, the Messiah has come. Incredible. And so we, you know, we just dropped what we were doing. We went and we looked. The angel said the baby would be, um, would be wrapped in cloths in a manger. You know how many mangers there are in Bethlehem? But we persevered, man. We looked, we looked, we found it. And when we found it, it was exactly like the angel told us. It's true. You've got to believe it. He, he, he said the message, didn't he? Told the message. A Savior has been born. It's Messiah the Lord. But he told it in the context of his life, how it had impacted him. Shouldn't we be doing the same? What has been made known to us? that we um, need to make known to others. Paul said it very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says this, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, what had been revealed, what had been made known to me, directly to Paul from Jesus Christ, and also the message that the apostles had preached. This is the, the heart of it right here. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scriptures said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. It's a pretty short sentence. Jesus Christ died for our sins and he resurrected from the dead. This is what has been made known to us and it's what we're to make known in the context of our lives. If this truth has made a difference in your life, it's impacted you, it's changed you, it's transformed you, it's give you, it gives you hope. That's the context of your life. And, and the question is, are, are we going to have a conspiracy of silence about this thing? Or, or are we going to be like the shepherds and, and tell people about it? Who's, who's your one? Who, who's your one? That, that you, you want to tell in the context of your life what this truth means to you and what a difference it's made to invite them on the journey of knowing and following Jesus. Who, who is that one? Think right now. Christmas is a great opportunity to start that conversation. Start the conversation. 
It's a conversation, not a presentation. It's in the context of relationship. Just, just as you, you can share the truth of this message in the context of your life, you share it in the context of a relationship with another person. Who is your one? Who did the shepherds tell? Well, I think, I mean, I think they told anybody who would listen, right, in their excitement. But they certainly told family and friends uh, about this wonderful news. What's your story? Who's your one? Well, the shepherds proved themselves to be wise men, right? They sought and they found Jesus. And when they had found him, they told others about him. They sought him. They shared him. They spread the good news. But that's not it. The third thing they did is to celebrate him, to celebrate him. Look at verses 18 to 20. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. In those verses, we actually get three responses to these events, to this revelation from the angels that a Messiah had been born, a Savior. The first reaction, the first response, it's those peoples that the, sh- the people that the shepherds told. And their response was amazement, wonder, marvel. In the original Greek, it means wow. <laughs> amazement is good. I like to be amazed. But amazement, like a sugar high, doesn't last. It doesn't, it can't really sustain faith, amazement. So uh, my son Lucas and his girlfriend Liz, uh, on Friday night, they watched It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, isn't that nice? (laughs) So, uh, you know, so then it was rented or whatever, it was available. And so then I, I, yesterday, I fast forwarded through the whole thing to the last five minutes. You know, I've seen it many times. So, but I watched the last five minutes and oh, tears and isn't it wonderful and awesome and amazing what happens and then I went on with my day and it didn't make a big difference it didn't impact or change my life I was amazed again for the wonder of that story but it didn't change my life in amazement amazement tends not to change our lives it's a good thing all right but it doesn't necessarily change our lives look at what Mary look at her response that's the second response the, uh, the people that heard the shepherds, they responded in amazement. But Mary, she treasured these things up in her heart. and She pondered them. That word treasured, it actually has the idea of um, defending, um, protecting. To, and so what she was doing was she was defending and protecting these, tr- these memories and these words and these events and these ideas. She didn't want to let them pass and fade away like amazement fades away. She wanted to hold on to them. Uh, I was talking with Judy Yeager the other day, and she's a scrapbooker. She, does, she, she has a wonderful scrapbook set up, and I had to confess that I'm, I'm a scrapbooker too. I do the scrapbooking in our family. Do you know what scrapbooking is? It's treasuring up 
It's, it's defending and protecting those memories. We don't want to lose them. And so, and so we create a scrapbook. That's, that's one way to protect and defend and treasure those memories. And so that's what Mary was doing, is she was defending and protecting those memories. She was treasuring them in her heart. But even more than that, she was pondering those things. And that word pondering has the idea of um, piecing something together, taking pieces and bringing them together and unifying them into a whole. And so what she was doing was she was taking these, these things that she was experiencing, hearing, and she was trying to put them together into a whole. Because this is not something to be easily understood and grasped. God incarnate. This is God with us. This is the almighty creator God in flesh and blood as a baby. You don't just, oh yeah, duh, that's obvious. I get it. No, it it's huge. There is no one else like Jesus. There, there is, he is absolutely and totally unique. There is no human being that pre-existed his birth in eternity. There is no human being who is also 100% fully and completely God. Jesus is the only one of his kind. There had been no one like him before, and there will never be anyone like him. He's absolutely unique. And so here Mary is holding him in her arms, and she's, she's holding on to these truths, and she's trying to piece them together and make sense out of it. She's remembering what the angel said to Joseph, and she's remembering what the angel said to Zechariah, and she's remembering what the angel said to her, and she's remembering her conversations with Elizabeth, and she's remembering now with the shepherds, and she's just trying to make sense of it and put it together and understand who is this baby? What is God doing? What is going to happen? And she's pondering it. Pondering is good. Amazement's good. Treasuring and pondering is better. Look what the disciples, look what the, or not the disciples, the, the shepherd, maybe some of them became disciples. The, um, uh, look what the shepherds did, though. They worshiped. They worshiped. They, they returned to their fields glorifying and praising God. They worshiped him. Do you think they understood the incarnation? Oh, yeah, I got that one down, got it figured out, expected it, expected it, really. Knew it was going to happen. Understand it. No, they, they did not understand that they didn't know everything that was going on, but they knew some really important things. They knew that God was on the move. God was acting God and his goodness and his grace was entering in. He had, he had remembered. He knew their need and he was acting and, and he was fulfilling his promises and he used the word salvation and now salvation was going to be available for everyone, even shepherds. And so although they didn't comprehend and grasp at all, they worshiped. Amazement's good. Treasuring and pondering are better. But the best is to worship. I like a song by Michael Card. It's about the incarnation. It's called The Mystery. And one of the lines in the chorus goes like this. Give up on your pondering and fall down on your knees. We will never be able to probe the depths of the mystery and wonder of the incarnation. The love of God his humility, 
his grace in Jesus Christ to us. It's, it's a truth so great, we will enjoy it and delight in it forever and never. That amazement will never run out. So we'll never get it fully, but we can worship. The, the, word, the, the word that uh, is used here of um, the shepherds praising God, of course, the Greek, we, we get our word doxology from it. So whatever you do this Christmas, worship. Worship him. Be amazed again at the love of God in Christ Jesus to us. What a gift. Treasure it. Ponder it. Think about it. But please worship. We have this service, but we have services tomorrow to help us do that to help us to hold on, to defend, and to protect these truths. That's why I hope you and your family have traditions to protect and defend these, these truths and, and to ponder them, but it, it should all lead to worship.